Good morning, everyone. Glad you could join us for our Bible study Saturday morning session. And we're recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we welcome you all. And our moderator today is Thomas from New York. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our Bible study. So I'll start out with our quote. Spiritual teaching has a purpose beyond a mere impartation of knowledge. It is intended to start in the individual the resurrection of what is termed in Christian science spiritual sense, which is the true spiritual nature in man and constitute man's relationship to God as his son. Through it, man understands and reflects him. Hence, the resurrection of spiritual sense in the conscious activity whereby man reflects divine mind is the ultimate objective of all spiritual teaching. And everything in the life of the spiritual teacher and pioneer that will aid the student in resurrecting this God-given quality through the struggle to understand and explain such matters is significant and important. This is from Introduction in Visions of Mary Baker Eddy, as recorded by her secretary, Calvin Fry, CSB, by G.C. Carpenter, Jr., CSB. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic quote. Couldn't help but notice that resurrection or resurrecting was used three times in this uh, statement to really put forth, obviously, the profound fact that spiritual sense is there with each and every one, one of us. So it's not like something to be gained or acquired, but to be resurrected. It says to me, saying, awake, awake, awake to yeah. what you already have. Yeah. Yeah, what, what a difference because and certainly in Bible studies, and maybe in other sense ways too, people think they're just imparting knowledge. That's not what Christian science is about at all. That's not what life is about <laughs> at yeah. all. Mm -hmm. We know the big difference between wisdom and knowledge, which wisdom is from God. So these, any times we spend together, that is the real purpose of it is developing your spiritual sense, learning to get your answers from God, um, not just imparting knowledge. So that's a really good quote. Thank you. The way I like the way it indicates when we learn about our leader, when we glean from her life, our own spiritual sense, I'm sure it goes for Christ Jesus also. Yes. Yeah, because we can't really learn about their life without also learning to appreciate the spiritual sense that guided her in everything that she did. I just, um, I don't think I don't know of any other religion that talks about spiritual sense, and it, and it's so important. I, 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 
don't know. Yeah. Didn't know either. I mean, I think there are some religions that talk about the, the quote, the spirit world okay. as being separate from the quote, material world. And certainly listening to God, listening for God's voice. <clears throat> but, you know, in the, in the glossary, the definition of resurrection, the first is spiritualization of thought. And also, it, this all reminds me of Mrs. Eddy's definition of church, that institution which affords proof of its utility and is found elevating the race, rousing the dormant understanding from material beliefs <clears throat> to the apprehension of spiritual ideas and the demonstration of divine science, thereby casting out devils or error and healing the sick. And if you don't do this, you're not, you don't have a church. You certainly don't have any teaching in the church. I think that's why they establishing that or bringing to awareness the prim primitive Christianity, which involves the healing part, is important in science and how its teachings are. The healing is part of it, of that Christianity. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah. I so love that in the manuals. You know, that is the reason for the church, having a church, she said, to restore primitive Christianity. Primitive. And, and that means original, not old-fashioned. <laughs> it means the true, <laughs> the true and original. Yes, what, 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 what Christ is to be in Yes. Yeah. And his disciples. Yeah, Christ's Christianity. Yes. And those same words were used in the um, the documentary we like to watch at Thanksgiving called The Pilgrims. I guess it was William Brewster, you know, that he wanted to leave England to establish primitive Christianity, which he felt he'd lost there because you had to become a member of the church. It was amazing. Church, yeah. the, the level of control that the church had over people's lives. And if you didn't go along with their so-called doctrine, well, that's, it was severe. <laughs> it's very interesting because I found these, this note. I didn't bring it today. I'll, I'll bring it tomorrow that Thomas sent me a while ago. And it was from that Charles Evans Hughes who I believe was a lawyer for Herbert Eustace. He also became a, he's on the Supreme, in the great litigation. In the, yes. In the great litigation. He was also on the Supreme court. I believe I have to check all that before tomorrow. But anyway, in this, this little thing that Thomas sent me, he, he says, this guy says he'd never seen a church that was so controlling as the first church of Christ scientist, which I found very <laughs> fascinating. He said they control everything. And this was in the, the 19 teens, 18, 19, 20. Less when, than 10 years after Mary Baker Eddy passed. Yes. And it is why he stood up for Herbert Eustace <clears throat> and, and realized that Mrs. Eddy in no way could have meant for all this control. It's very fascinating. And I, I don't know, Thomas, if you remember sending me that, but I kept it. And I'm so proud of myself. I've been arranging all my 
notes into full. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Well, anyway. Well, that's it, all right. You did a really good thing. You did. <laughs> you did, and I thank you, as, as this quote, too. Thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. I mean, it really sheds some light on the purpose of the estoppel clauses in the manual. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we are we have divine control. We do not have human control, which is always malicious and erring. And she talked about tending the regulator, and that's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she gave them all the clues she could possibly give them. She did, exactly. Well, and I think it all boils down to the whole point of Christianity, the whole point of, you know, our life here on earth. The whole point is to have a relationship with our creator and, with, and, and thereby have a good relationship with one another. And our spiritual sense is our relationship with God. And that's why we have to cultivate it. That's why we have to resurrect it. <laughs> and that's why it's the only thing that really matters. There can't be a desire to help people resurrect it if you just want to control them anyway. It's best to keep it dead. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Well, so, right. So true. It can't be resurrected if you're under the thumb of human control. And that's why the Constitution of the United States is such a unique document, because it recognizes the importance of man's individual relationship with God, and it respects it, and it says in so many words that the only role of a human government is to protect that relationship. So important we understand this. And that's why the human mind rebels against the Constitution of the United States of America. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. does. That makes sense. And that's why we have to be diligent to protect it. Yeah. Because it's not a human doctrine. It's our relationship with God and the need to protect that relationship. And that's why we feel so strongly about Christian science. It's not a human religion. It's divine. It is God speaking to us. Anyway, thank you, Tom. Good quote. Yeah, good quote. Uh, we can thank Gilbert Carpenter, Jr., Yes. <laughs> Wonderful yeah. what he wrote. So this kind of reminded me somewhat uh, about a uh, quote that we often use for our Bible study. As adherents of truth, we take the inspired word of the Bible as our sufficient guide to eternal life. So I thought it was kind of good to start out with, well, what are we trying to accomplish with the Bible study? And so it was nice the way Gilbert Carpenter sort of encapsulated uh, how we can look at spiritual teaching. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's and, true. And Calvin Fry for writing it down in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, uh, um, this what he's saying in here, which other people have already said, but, you know, it's um, about um, our relationship with God. 
So we can think about that when we go through our Bible study, that uh, what are we doing to help us better understand and uh, have a relationship with God? Yes, and I think that's what makes this Bible studies unique to others, where it is just information, but this is much different. And many of you don't know it, but we usually have, you know, 130, 140 people at our Bible study every Saturday, and that much at least on our round table. So we're grateful for those of you who spend this time with us. I just wanted okay. to say, I just want to say we were talking about government, and I read this yesterday in Retrospection and Introspection by Mrs. Eddy. It is safe to lead with God the government of man. He appoints and he anoints his truth bearers, and God is their sure defense and refuge. That's at the bottom of page 90. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful, I think we've had that for a watch at times, but it's a wonderful, simple statement of truth. Okay, so our, our topic today is faith, patience, and God's blessings. And so we had in the um, lesson this week the story of Joseph, and I thought there's so many wonderful things in there. Let's, let's uh, study that story. Um, so hopefully as we go through uh, the questions, we'll see how that relates to faith, patience, and God's blessings. So to start out with, um, now this may be counterintuitive to what we just went through in the quote, but the first question here is about impartation of knowledge. Um, but I kind of like to do this sometimes because, you know, if we're going to get inspired from the Bible, well, we kind of need to know the Bible. So yes. our first question is, uh, <laughs> who were the Ishmaelites? Um Ishmael was the son of Hagar and Abraham, who um, was blessed by God. He sent him off away from Abraham, and uh, he formed his, uh, ended up forming a, a nation um, and of the Ishmaelites. And Hagar was Egyptian also. Uh, but anyway, that's, where they came from, their original source was from Ishmael, the son of Hagar. And he had 12 children, right? Yeah. <laughs> he married an, an Egyptian woman himself. Yeah. And Betty's an authority on this because she's writing a lesson about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they lived in... Uh, Arabia, you know, they were nomads, right? Yeah. They weren't farmers. They were traders. But they were merchants. Yeah. They traded. They kind of took whatever they could find. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the Hebrews, the Hebrews uh, were kind of uh, prejudiced against them. They were the lower class of the tribes. Thank you. Um, 
Well, God established the covenant with Isaac rather than Ishmael. Yeah, it's it's a good thing to understand because you know, this commentary, well, Carrie sent me a commentary mm-hmm. on this, and you know it ends saying well, they're still having troubles <laughs> because of this. That's why we know there's no none superior or inferior. Um, is leads okay, to so that that's who he established the covenant with. But did he overlook? Did God overlook Ishmael? No, no. No, he cared for him. Yeah. He he cared for Hagar when he, you know, the well, the water, God's love present with everyone. Everyone. That's right. So it says here in Genesis chapter 17, verse 20, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And twelve princes shall he beget, and that will make him a great nation. What blesses one blesses all? (laughs) Yeah. I think if when God blesses or choose someone to bless, for the greater good still. So... It's not to say then you're superior to others. Yeah, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't really care whether we think people are more or less than us. Thank you. Yeah. And that'll heal all of this. Well, and and what will heal all of this is a recognition that can God do anything less than bless all of his children? I mean, really? Of course not. Of course not. Now, this idea that God prefers some over others is nonsense. It's a human theory. But it does appear that those who have a better, closer, stronger relationship with God and to prosper more, Right. Maybe it's because some um, are more aware of their closeness to God. Perhaps it's some form of, um, maybe I'll call it misleading education that, you know, some are less closer to God. That's why some people feel that they can only get to God through a pastor or some spiritual leader or something. It's yeah, very true. We have human educational processes that limit people, right? Mm-hmm. Or try anyway. It's all human, uh, uh, that's for sure. Yeah. And and a religion of a nation can can greatly affect that nation, so-called religion of the nation. And we do find where there's Christianity, there's greater prosperity and enlightenment. Um, and humanity. And humanity, because if, if it's followed, Christ's Christianity, if it's followed. So, but God is no respecter of persons, nor did he ever curse one and bless another. 
But those who are miseducated, as Florence pointed out, those who are miseducated would be jealous and rebellious and would try to steal the good that others have. Otherwise, you know, make trouble. And, and that happened in, you know, with Joseph and his brothers. They were jealous. Couldn't even tell them a dream without them getting Yeah, yeah no, they were, they yeah. just. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if anybody noticed, but um, the Ishmaelites were also called Medianites. Yeah, you know, which kind of confused me. I didn't know what that meant, but uh, so I looked it up. And uh, if anybody has anything to add, what I say, that'd be helpful too. So, but uh, apparently they're descended from Midian or Median, the son of Keturah, who was a concubine of Abraham and later became his wife. Um, and then the Ishmaelites are descended, you know, of course, as we said, from Hagar. But the Ishmaelites, uh, a lot of them apparently went and lived with the Midianites. And so then it became that since the Ishmaelites were living with the Midianites, that uh, quite often they were called interchangeably, whether an Ishmaelite or a Midianite. Thank you for that explanation. Because in the story of and Joseph- as we know, Moses married a, sorry, Moses married a Midianite too, so remember that. But go ahead, please. I was just going to say, in the story of Joseph, you know, in his travels, there were Midianites, and then there were Ishmaelites. And the distinction became less and less, I guess, over time. Yeah. I read that they also intermarried with Hebrews. Some of them did, the Ishmaelites. Well, one of the commentaries I read was a takeaway from all this, and that was that you can have the most messed up family history, but good can still come out of it. So. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. No matter what, there's the opportunity to resurrect your spiritual self. That's right. it. That's and it's it. the spiritual history that matters, not the material history. Is it only real anyway? The spiritual. So. That's right. That's why when people dwell on the hit and the material and dwell and think about it and the chew on it, and yeah, and all where, the all the injustices all that were ancestors done. come from. Yeah. What did they do? Who these, cares? <laughs> well, and in the injustices that happened, and think about that instead of thinking about what good has transpired, you really get yourself in a mess when you do that. So, um, uh, to sort of uh, segueing from that, so our second question is: um, Describe an injustice done to Joseph, and how did he respond? Well, there were a few, weren't there? <laughs> yeah. He's ended. Well, one of the things that the first thing I guess. Half was he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. The Bible says he was the son of um, the of his old age, Jacob, um, describing the wisdom 
that um, Joseph expressed, and which is why he was given the coat of many colors, why he was loved by his father more than his brothers. It appeared to his brothers to be that way. And so they were jealous and threw him in a pit and um, sold him to the Ishmaelites, to, or sold him, yeah, and they, and he ended up in um, Egypt. But then, like was just said, there were many injustices done to, to him, but that was probably the first one. <laughs> yeah, and when he got to Egypt, he served his master well. Uh-huh. Yeah. And his master recognized that there was something really good and special about him. He didn't dwell on the past and dwell on being thrown into the pit. He went forward. He didn't look backward. He went forward. He did. Right. Mm-hmm. No, he, he made good out of a bad situation. He did well. Because he later explained that God sent him to preserve life. This was much later. Like Gary said, the Lord was with him and made him to prosper, and his master saw him. So I guess what I really mean to say is he allowed God to work through him. He was obviously very close to God. Otherwise, he couldn't have interpreted these dreams that others had, and he even gave God credit for all of it. So I guess that's his response. All glory be to God and allow him to have his way through me. That's how I see it. Yeah, he, he, whether he knew it or not, he felt he had a life purpose. He felt that his life had a divine mission. And he maintained his closeness. Maybe even his, close, his closeness with God may have even grown through, you know, Tribulation. the tribulations that he was put in. His master's wife lies about him, you know. Yeah, Yeah. and yet he was honorable. Mm -hmm. He didn't let her seduce him. It didn't sound either that he ever accused her or said, you know, well, she she tried to do this to me. I I was innocent. He he didn't say, he didn't defend himself. At least Uh, it wasn't recorded. Yeah, like Christ Jesus didn't. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There is the most beautiful, and I would suggest you all find it. It, It's a Spurgeon sermon. Maybe some of you have found it. But it's called A Miniature Portrait of Joseph. Um, And I'm telling you, I'd like it on the website. Because it starts off with saying that Scripture frequently sums up a man's life in a single sentence. Here is the biography of Joseph's. Joseph sketched by inspiration. Quote, God was with him, unquote. So Stephen testified in his famous speech recorded in Acts. Here is the life story of Abraham. Quote, Abraham believed in God, end quote. Of Moses we read, quote, the man Moses was very meek, end quote. Take a New Testament life such as that of John the Baptist and you have it in a line. Quote, John did no miracle, but all the things that he spake concerning Jesus were true, end quote. The mere name of John, quote, 
that disciple whom Jesus loved, end quote, would serve for an epitaph of him. It pictures both the man and his history. It goes on, but it, it also, it says that Jesus was said that the Lord was with him, that comparison. But then the whole, this whole article just goes, I must have mentioned a hundred times, all the times that God was with Joseph and how he loved God. He loved to commune with God. He, he never complained. He never compromised his values. Everything he did was to honor God, not because he was trying to be a good person, but because he loved God. And he was God-like. The fact that he didn't hate his enemies, the fact that in prison, everywhere he went, well, this goes to another question, but everywhere he went, he did good and blessed people. And he was tried. There was another quote I thought was so good about jo Joseph, was loved and hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased. Yet at no point in the 110-year life of Joseph, Joseph did he ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as in public. He was truly a great man. That sounds like Mrs. Eddy talking about the man of integrity. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is just an incredible story. There are just so many life lessons in each one of these examples because he was tested at every point. I mean, first with his own family, his own brothers. And I, I know, you know, I read some commentary saying, well, he was kind of stupid because he told him about the dream and, you know, maybe it was a bit of a show off or something. But Spurgeon didn't say that, and I don't feel that either. Whatever That's he ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Yeah. However, the human mind would misinterpret it, That's wouldn't right. it? That's uh, right. Yeah. He was only whatever he did was only an attempt to help his brothers or to uh, alert them. Um, but what a horrible thing, Jeremy. Well, I just was thinking when when you don't have that kind of guile in yourself, you, when you reach out to people that you think are supposed to be there to like support and love you <laughs> and they don't it's always a shock so yeah. I, I don't you know joseph wasn't that way so that he wouldn't have seen that coming no he wasn't no and and i read somewhere he had to walk like 10 or 15 miles to che shechem or wherever trying to find his brothers that's quite a hike yeah. um all the way up to dothan, that's dothan. yeah anyway he and then to be tempted like that, too. I mean, in, in the Spurgeon thing, he says a lot of men would have given in to that. I mean, why not sort of a thing. But he, again, why not? It wasn't, he did love his master and was loyal to his master, but he said, how could I trade God? It's God that would didn't want to offend. At every point, yes, God was with him. And that Emmanuel, God with us, that I love in Matthew 1, was true of Christ Jesus, too. How can I do this great wickedness and a sin against God? Thank you. I am moral thought. That's right. If you have that in you, you could never do that great wickedness. Yeah, this is in the Spurgeon article you were talking about, and he said it would, to 
he saw God as always with him. So they say often when you're like at work, you'll behave when the, the boss is around. Right. And so <laughs> we need to think of God, God is always around, you know, mm-hmm. and how could we do that? He would want to do it whether God was there or not. But um, I just thought that was a, a, a helpful analogy to be thinking about your actions and thoughts all the time. Yes. Not of studied appearance. <laughs> right, and the man of integrity. And Elsie used to say about her mother, is she here, Elsie? Yeah. Well, she would say, Go ahead. I'm here. <laughs> well, that, that, you know, maybe I don't see you doing something, but God knows what you're doing. <laughs> we were brought up on that. <laughs> and that's a good thing to, to remember. It is a good thing. I, uh, not long after I first got here, a car drove by and it hit my mirror and smashed my mirror and smashed their mirror too. So the lady came back and we exchanged information. And then the guy came, the husband came, and he he brought the part and, and helped me replace the mirror. But mm-hmm. he he was talking about it. He says, you know, God God sees what people do. So there was no choice but do the right yeah. thing. So I just thought that was really wonderful. I mean, you know, that is the Plainfield area. That's how everybody seems to be here. So. That's true. I was in the Plainfield area. That's I really think, you know, through science, one does develop this. A high, that's a higher moral sense of how to be. So that, for example, I remember when you go to a store and somebody gives you more change than they should, you feel uncomfortable. You got to give it, give it back. Yes. Yes. Um, maybe at some other point in my life, I wouldn't have, but it just, it feels like it doesn't feel right when you're doing wrong. That, that's it. And you know, when you act that way or principled and honest like that, you will only attract that into your experience. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a law and a rule, and I've seen it operate. While on the other hand, if you're dishonest and doing things dishonestly, you will attract that into your experience. So, and at every turn, Joseph did the kind and loving thing. He never hated. He, he you know, even when he was in the prison, he kept doing the right thing because he was expressing God. He was that close to God. He wasn't even lonely. Um and th- this is what it means to be obedient to God, doesn't it? Yeah. Not see. out of duty, but more the love for doing love. right. Yeah, you obey what you love. And if you love God, you will obey God. And you will be close to God. And God will be close to you. And that's what life is all about. So I want to mention one other uh, incident where uh, Joseph helped someone and then um, uh, um, they didn't um, deliver what they promised. So this was the chief butler. Mm-hmm. So he interpreted the dream of the chief butler saying that basically he was going to have his position restored and it was restored. And the chief butler said that he would then remember Joseph for what he had done interpreting the dream. But it says here that, the uh, chief butler forgot Joseph. Yeah. Yes. 
So think about how uh, Joseph responds to all this. I mean, we talked before about him going to prison. And so he was in prison for two years. I mean, I'm thinking, how would I feel if I did nothing wrong and I'm in prison for two years? I mean, the emotions I would have. And you you start looking for these emotions. And what does he do? He helps people who uh, uh, don't show appreciation for it. But he keeps on doing that. But look what God does. He puts him in charge of the prisoners. Mm-hmm. Something. Mm-hmm. You can't help but notice. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. Can't help but Should we notice. go on the question three then? Oh. Well, that's cool. It, no, that's uh, just a finished question too. Okay, good. Does God ever stop caring for us? No. In spite of what oh. we do, in spite of our ingratitude at times, no. Joseph is a good example of God's creation, of, of, his, of manifesting God, of being the image and likeness of God. Yes, and, and think about the things he overcame. The first is brother's betrayal your family betrayal, then being sold into slavery, okay? He was a slave. Then he had to overcome this huge temptation of Potiphar's wife. And then, as Tom just said, he was thrown into prison. Now, those I just listed, they're like about the, I don't know, three or four worst things that can happen to a person, right? And in each case, by his obedience to God, he overcame it. And not only overcame it, he was promoted. I was thinking he didn't dwell on the temporary, the evil, and the false. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and he During the good and the true. And he didn't let the injustice ruin his disposition. Yes. He didn't become self-pity or bitter or any of those things that are self-destructive. He was able to impersonalize the whole thing and not, and not see it as person, but see it as, well, he had had those dreams. He knew God was working in his life. We must all know this. Whatever comes to us, comes to us for lessons to be learned and, and not to get all angry and upset, but to learn, graciously learn the lesson. And you be lifted up out of whatever problem it is. There was something in the Spurgeon article that you had mentioned, and I'd like to read just a little bit of it. Um, It says, when he was taken away to his master, after he was sold, to his master's house, and the various duties of his service were allotted to him, the Lord was with Joseph. The house of the Egyptian had never been so pure, so honest, so honored before. Beneath Joseph's charge, it was secretly the temple of his devotion and manifestly the abode of comfort and confidence. And that the Hebrew slave had a glory of character about him, which all perceived, and especially his master. For we read, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. 
I just thought that was such a, a good way of explaining how Joseph dealt with where he was, and he made made it the temple of his devotion. That's beautiful. Very good. Okay, Tom. And he also, God also blessed his brothers, even though they had put him in a pit. He brought them to Egypt where they could be fed. So they, you know, that was, they were blessed. Despite the fact that they did that to their brother, they were also blessed in the end. It all came around. Anybody else? Okay. Moving okay. on. So, question three. Describe how God blessed people in Joseph's life. And I'll read the verse here that I meant to quote. I typed in the wrong chapter. So, this is Genesis chapter 39, verse 5. <laughs> yeah. You might have looked at uh, chapter 37. So, what is Tom thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, chapter 39. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Just about everybody who lived within 100 miles of Egypt was blessed. Mm -hmm. He pretty much saved everybody's life because he foresaw what was coming after the seven years of plenty. <clears throat> and they were ready for the seven years of lean when they came. But just think about... If you started into these seven years of plenty, how easy it would have been to relax, say life is good, and not prepare. But he had the wisdom and foresight to not fall for that temptation. Some of the worst temptations come when things are good, things are looking good. One of the most dangerous temptations is to let down one's sense of alertness, to release one's sense of resurrected spiritual sense. And when things get good, that's when the temptations come. <laughs> yep, tear or triumph harms. See it in the practice. People's things start getting better. People just start to drift sometimes. And then usually all hell breaks loose. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I know I've done it. Well, and we've seen that in the history of the Christian science movement too, haven't we? <clears throat> A lot of people's lives are blessed. They become healthy, wealthy, and then they worship the effect of Christian science instead of worshiping God. Well, they become wealthy, but not so wise. <laughs> True. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the thorns grow wilder and choke it all. Yes, <clears throat> good seed. Yep. Well, it, it is true. We talked about it, but it was jo Joseph's diligence in every area, and, and he was a hard worker. Um, so many people will get a job, and they'll do the least possible. Um, 
and certainly in his circumstances, I mean, he could say, "Wow, the, why the heck do I want to help any of these people? I'll just be, a, you know, just slop around." But he didn't. He did his highest sense of right. He was diligent, and he knew his employer is God, not person. Um, and that would be a hard one to to I'm do. Sure. Oh, sorry. No, that's it. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure people, all those who observed how he conducted himself must have learned humility, the the need to trust some a supreme power. You know, maybe they also learned to rejoice whether plenty or less and to seek um, blessings in adversities, also to cultivate moral courage. I'm sure anyone who was observing how he lived his life through all this must have learned these things. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a good lesson, too, about people complain about not being promoted. Um, God is a promoter, and when you know you work for him, he'll promote you in due time. It might take years, but it'll happen in due time. But you'll be tested, and you either pass the test or you fail. And if you're going to complain and murmur and carry on, you're, you're failing the tests. <laughs> but if you, as Joseph, always doing the right thing, eventually you will be promoted. It's amazing to me coming here and learning the importance of, you know, being faithful in the small things um, and just that, that progression. Like, you know, seven years I could not have, suddenly taken on six new languages <laughs> I, I had to learn along the way and 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 grow to that point and i'm glad for it so you know thinking of that guy forgetting him for two years in prison i think you know he must have needed it because in the end it, it worked and it was it was right so yeah you definitely don't want to promote yourself ahead of time <laughs> don't want to say yes when the real answer is no yeah yeah, and Jeremy's a good example of that and being promoted and having, you know, he had a, got promoted pretty soon after his wife kicked him out. He lost his job. He was contemplating suicide. And, and God watched all his actions in those times. He was a good man. and Good in the sense that he was of great use to God. Yes. He had the characteristics, and he had... He didn't ever resent or hate or anything that I ever knew. And and then all of a sudden, wow. So you never know. And it's as we've talked about it, sometimes the darkest before the greatest light. You just keep going and doing the best you can, doing the very best you can. I would like to just say on that point, something that's kind of struck me recently is that you know, there's those things, you, if you think back on and like these points where somebody did like a betrayal or it stung or something like that. I think when you're in those situations with mortal mind, that's all that mortal mind will do to you. That's it. You know, mortal mind will, will betray you. They, they will throw you in prison if they can do whatever. Yeah, yes. So it's not like it, it should, it was only a surprise because I didn't know how to handle animals. Animal magnetism. <laughs> so I'm grateful to be here learning that. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Mortal mind doesn't know better. <laughs> it 
doesn't know how to do. No, it, yeah, yeah, it's always gonna do. And Mrs. Eddie talks about the importance of knowing, like what mortal mind will do, and so that's another reason that Joseph had to go through all this. He didn't. He didn't Learned. know that his brothers had the capacity to betray him. He didn't know about all this stuff, but he learned and he was really wise at the end and leading Egypt through all that stuff. So that's pretty spectacular. That's right. And he couldn't have done that if he had a personal sense of himself or of others. And and whatever he did, he said, certainly didn't do it because he was trying to be promoted. He did it because, again, it was right by God. Um, he wasn't thinking, oh, well, if I do this, then I'll get some benefit. He just did it because it was right. And that's what we must always, that is being pure in heart. This commentary lists some of his qualities, pure in heart, diligent. <clears throat> he was um, tender and sympathetic. Um, he was willing to help his people in charge of him, <clears throat> interpret their dreams, listen to them. And yeah, very wise. And uh, in this, Spurgeon said, well, one of the greatest points of his wisdom was the ability to stay silent at times, not try to defend himself. As That's a temptation, all right, that trying to avenge yourself. It sure is. Like, really, I have to forgive that? You just want something to happen, but... That's know, it. God knows best. His time is always right. Yes. There was also, and I wasn't sure where to tuck this in, but it was a very good point that one of the commentaries made. It was about Jacob. When Jacob found out, or he thought that Joseph had been killed, it said um, he tore his clothes. This was an expression of utter horror and mourning because his beloved son was gone. Can't imagine how awful that must have felt. And then it said, this is also a powerful illustration of the principle that if we believe something to be so, it may as well be. Joseph wasn't dead, but as long as Jacob believed he was, as far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph was dead. In the same way, the Christian has, in, in truth, been set free from sin but if Satan can persuade us that we are under the tyranny of sin, we may as well be. And I, when I read that, I thought, because how true that is. We live under this tyranny of what we believe, and I, of our beliefs. And then I thought of in Science and Health on page 386, where Mrs. Eddy says, a blundering dispatch, mistakenly announcing the death of a friend, occasions occasions the same grief that the friend's real death would bring. You think that your anguish is occasioned by your loss. Another dispatch correcting the mistake heals your grief, and you learn that your suffering was merely the result of your belief. Thus it is with all sorrow, sickness, and death. You will learn at length that there is no cause for grief, and divine wisdom will then be understood. It is error, not truth, that produces all the suffering on earth. It's really interesting. I examined my thought after that because 
eventually. I mean, even if someone does seem to pass on in our experience, eventually you will find out he he or she did not. If you think you have some disease and you're going to die of that disease, eventually, sooner or later, you will find out you have not. It's it's a belief. And Mrs. Eddie, the book is full of these beliefs. But if you believe it to be true, well, it might as well be true. But it isn't. <laughs> so so why 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 come under that tyrannical belief? I just thought that was so helpful. Yeah, um, and that is why it is possible. <clears throat> it is possible for us to overcome false beliefs. Yes. Here. 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 Now. Why not do it now instead of in the hereafter? Amen. Amen. <laughs> so and that's what we're all about. Here, do it now. And I, I love this. I gave this out to some people. It was a, um, oh, maybe I don't. Oh, yeah, I do have it. It was a calendar statement a while ago, but where Mrs. Eddy says, instead of being bound for the grave, we must know we are on the eternal road of life that has no sense of death. Just remember that. It's just a belief. All of this, beliefs, don't. Don't believe them, and you won't have to come under. It's tyrannical, bossing you around. It's not true. <laughs> Stand up for your rights. Thank you for that. I, and it gives new light to the be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes. Well, how long did it take man to realize the world wasn't flat? Well, that's right. It's just a belief. Right. And, and, and you're you got sub and, subjected to the beliefs. And I'll bet there were some who knew a long time before that that the world wasn't flat, but they just couldn't announce it or publish it or write it down for fear of, you know, <laughs> of the repercussions. <laughs> or they just didn't realize other people thought it was flat because it was so clearly not. <laughs> uh, okay, Tom, we got time for one more question. <laughs> Well, I wanted to recap a couple of things on the, these two questions. One, what Mary said um, about, um, you know, injustices, not to take them personally. Um, and then on the other question on um, people being blessed, um, this is in the uh, um, mm -hmm. book on the visions of Mary Baker Eddy, and uh, I'm sure it's elsewhere too, but that uh, there's a distinction between human goodness and divine goodness. So if Joseph focused on human goodness, I'm not sure uh, how, how that would have blessed everybody, but see, it was divine goodness. So that's not selfish. So what Joseph was doing was not selfish because it was uh, coming from God. Yes. Right. And Mrs. Eddy makes the distinction between unselfish and selfless. Yeah, unselfish. Joseph, Joseph was not unselfish either. He was selfless. He did not have a selfhood apart from God at all. Yeah, so he was unmoved by all that was done to him. He didn't see it personally. And, and if he tried to humanly do all this, he would have fell on his face. And human goodness can turn into what? Hate. Yeah. Hate and, hu and human badness. <laughs> <laughs> In a heartbeat. Yeah, and it would have. 
but he was led by God, so he was safe. Thank you. So in our last question, I wrote this because um, I think sometimes it's a difficult subject when we start talking about dreams and visions and things like that. Um, uh, and I think an example is that book I mentioned, uh, uh, you know, from Calvin Fry on visions. I mean, uh, you know, the uh, board of directors didn't want people to see that. So this is a difficult topic, I think. Um, but maybe it's not, but so I have this question here. So in, in, we read here in, in Genesis where it says Joseph was called a dreamer. That's quote unquote dreamer. So how should we interpret this? Well, there were a couple of statements in here that really meant a lot to me. And that's where he interpreted the dreams. In one point he poses the question, do not interpretations belong to God? In other words, to say, and he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker. And later, Pharaoh had his dream. Joseph was called in. And this is absolutely one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, where Joseph says, it is not in me. God will shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So, to me, that means this dreamer is one who is very close to God and hears him. Mrs. Debbie talks on page 84 in the textbook about scientific foreseeing. And part of it, I won't read all of it, but part of it says, um, when sufficiently advanced in science to be in harmony with the truth of being, men, men become seers and prophets involuntarily. Controlled not by demons, spirits, or demigods, but by the one spirit. It is the prerogative of the ever-present divine mind and of thought, which is before with this mind, to know the past, the present, and the future. Acquaintance with the science of being enables us to commune more largely with the divine mind to foresee and foretell events which concern the universal welfare, to be divinely inspired need to reach the range of federalist science. So it's for the universal welfare. Yes, yes. Which his obedience to God enabled him to have. It was a prerogative. I love that. And this is Eddie's chapter on spiritualism. So beautiful. He was referred to a dreamer as a dreamer by whom? His brethren. Yeah. By the mortal human mortal mind. Yeah. And they were they were mocking him, but that. So in science, this is not a hard question at all, is it? <clears throat> because dreams are often the way that God speaks to us. And Joseph knew that God was speaking through dreams, or or in any other way. Aren't dreams aren't dreams just like seeing? Where, you know, you're seeing what God is showing you for his sight? Well, sometimes that can be the case, yes. God, God tries to reach us in whatever way he can, and sometimes it does. At night, you're, when your thought is at peace and relaxed, maybe, can come to you. So, and, and when you pray about it, you can interpret it. You will know. If it's that type of dream, 
not all dreams are that way, but some are. It's, it is so interesting in the Bible how many people had dreams and visions. It's very common. We probably, we, I mean, I feel I do at times. <laughs> we probably all do. You just need to recognize it as a way of God speaking to you. And, and Joseph was so close to God. Joseph was so used to hearing God and obeying God that he recognized some of these dreams as God speaking. And, you know, when he told his brothers about the dream that he had, he, he, he was telling them because God was speaking to him and to them. They didn't like the message, right? So what did they do? They went after the they messenger. They started it coming true. <laughs> yeah, they started it coming true. They started it coming true. Yeah, right. they, they attacked the messenger and made sure it would come true. Exactly. The same thing um, with the other dreams. That, I think that, oh. Yeah. I was just going to say, sometimes um, angels kind of fall into this cat category as well as in as dreams, in that, um, you know, God's thoughts passing to man. And sometimes we see them as dreams or however God's thoughts are coming to us, and whatever name they go by. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> another way God speaks to us many ways Lillian you want to say anything no I'm good okay. Bruce I'm good <laughs> I don't know many times after these Bible sessions people will say well I was going to say this, <laughs> so if please, if anyone is going to say something, now's the time. I was actually waiting for that opportunity to say that statement from Joseph. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Yes, thank so you. That, that one to me is very profound. And it did. And Joseph happened to be the one who was listening to God speaking to all of them. Tom. Well, this is great. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, do you have, have anything you want to add, Tom? Oh, well, I just think about a topic. I somehow feel good when I look at the topic. I mean, this is about uh, faith and patience and God's blessings. Yes. And let's not forget there was a blessing for Ishmael, too, and his descendants. So we're all included, all of us. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Very wonderful. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. 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 Thank you.